The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Equity Bank-sponsored podcast today. John Schramm is on the show. He's the president of the Purple Guys. He's responsible for their strategic management and the growth of that company. It's an interesting concept. It's kind of outsourced IT support. I love that idea because, you know, you can find many small business leaders really lack the internal resources that keep that technology and their people fully supported. And so if you can turn to outsourcing IT, you get more return on investment, right? A lot of people are outsourcing, and I think IT is a great one at that. And you can usually do it for less than one full-time employee. That's kind of the model that most of these outsourcing companies do. And it's a great, a great model. And it usually, if you can find, I find anyway, particularly in this, I love this concept of this outsourcing of IT. It kind of takes care of the frustration due to the un- unreliable, unfriendly, and unpredictable IT support. John is a student of customer service. It's one of his pet peeves. It's one of mine, too. We talk about the power of customer service. And we talk about the challenges of how to hire for his particular in- industry because he needs people who are technically adapt, but at the same time, they're maniacal about solving the customer's problem. And so we spent a lot of time talking in this episode, how do you find those individuals? It's the kind of the whole, you know, hire slow, take your time. And that is a tremendous amount of pressure to do that because typically we always seem to be behind the eight ball in recruiting. And so we talk about that. How do you find those type of people? What type of people is he looking for? And I love his concept of the purple guys. It's all kind of centered around this idea of how frustrating it is when your IT goes down and the IT help desk, quote unquote, is not very helpful. Purple guys focus on trying to make that go away with efficient, expedient, fast and friendly IT support. And you got a predictable price, so you're not getting clocked by the hour. You know, it's this whole outsourced model that delivers IT peace of mind throughout the whole process. They, they promise no stress billing, no wait response, no limit access. And so it takes away that whole kind of frustrating feeling because computers are going to go down. And John Tram and his guys at Purple Guys are focused on taking away that frustration and focus that allows you to focus on growing your business. That's the whole whole deal. Because every minute that your IT, your technology is down, then you're not being productive and your business is losing money. The idea of having to put up with unreliable, frustrating, and plain bad IT support should be a thing of the past. That's his concept. That's his promise. And uh, it was a great conversation. Again, talking about how to find the talent, talking about how to stay, again, intense, have an intensity to will and have a humble, teachable spirit, something we talk about almost exclusively in every episode. It's an overriding theme. It's almost like we should change the title of this show to 
intensity of will and humble teachable spirit. That's what Dose of Leadership is all about. And John is certainly living up to those expectations. And it was just a great, fun conversation. You'll get a lot out of it. The show is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. It's been an honor to have them sponsor these Equity Bank episodes over the last almost 20 months now. It's hard to believe we're going on almost two years. They've been a great sponsor, a great supporter. I know the owners personally. I've been to their leadership conference. I spoke at their leadership conference. And it's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They're now listed in the NASDAQ exchange and has locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And clearly this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs as an entrepreneur, as a business person, then check out Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. Thanks for listening to the show. Let's join our conversation now with John Schramm, the owner of The Purple Guys, in this special entrepreneurial and leadership series brought to you by Equity Bank, here on Dose of Leadership. John, thanks for coming on Dose of Leadership. Welcome. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. I understand the pain and the pleasure of working in the IT field. I was a computer science major, and I managed a, a handful of IT teams in my professional life. So how did you get started in this? You started at a, at a weird time, 2001, October 2001, which I think is a terrible time to start a business. But tell me about uh, that. It was a very, very interesting time to launch a new business. And, and actually, it was my third iteration of starting a business. Uh, I refer to myself as an unintentional serial entrepreneur <laughs> and kind of how I got into the IT space. I, I was a customer of this business. So my last firm was an IT staffing firm. I had a huge growth curve. We went from zero to 90 employees and zero to $10 million in revenue in a four-year period. Wow. And a long time ago, I actually used to have some, some decent technical skills. And as I was growing that business as the president, uh, it dawned on me one day I had better things to do with my time than troubleshoot printers uh, <laughs> for my staff. And uh, I, we were an IT staffing firm, so I was just going to hire somebody and put them in charge of it. And one of the guys that worked for me mentioned that he knew somebody that, that did this part-time and that I should just outsource that function. So as, a, as an IT staffing firm, I actually hired a, a little two-man shop to outsource my IT support. And that was my introduction to the service of, of, of the Purple Guys and, and what we eventually became. I, I was a customer of it and, and I liked it. Um, and then, you know, long story short, when I left that business to start my next venture, I, I bought those guys out. I really gave them full-time employment is really what I did. But, um, and that's, that's how I got into the, the business of providing IT support for the small and mid-sized business world. Uh, but it, it took me about a year to actually figure out what we did. Um, I knew what I was buying, but from the perspective of what were we actually selling to the to the marketplace and, and the service that we actually provided. Uh, it, it took me a year to realize we were not in the IT business. We were yeah. in the customer, customer service business. Uh, I like that. Once I realized that, it, it changed changed the whole framework of the company. I can imagine because I, that, one of my biggest pet peeves is poor customer service. It just dry, it makes, drives my wife crazy if I'm out at a restaurant. And again, I'm not, I'm not a prima donna or elitist about it. I just like basic common yeah. sense customer service, and I think it's lacking in so many aspects. You talk about the, the IT help 
side of it, the service side of it. Oh my God, yeah. it's almost non-existent. So yeah, I, I think that's great yeah. that you, you recognize. Yeah. I think back to that old Saturday Night Live skit with Jimmy Fallon. Oh yeah. We, you know, we've all, I've experienced that. I've worked for people like that. Uh-huh. I've, it's so true to life, right? I've I've hired people like that with the you know move <laughs> right move out of the way <laughs> like that's like that those people exist I've I've accidentally hired them and uh, I learned actually I've made that mistake more than once I'm, I'm kind of a slow learner when it comes to that but uh, yeah that that is the perception of customer service specifically in the IT world um, and especially as things have morphed when we first started almost 19 years ago. Um, everything we had to do, we had to do on site. The the remote tools and the right, the, they were non-existent. The technology that exists today wasn't there, uh, or if it was there, it was cost prohibitive at a small business level. So we had to find people that I mean, they would go on site and they had to be nice, um, and they still had to fix the technical stuff. But the number one thing was they had to have customer service skills. And once we really started hiring for customer service skills. And, uh, you know, you can teach somebody the tech stuff. You right. figured out you can't really teach somebody customer service if they're not wired that way. Yeah, they got to be intentional about it. And, and you're right. They have to be wired or at least, again, put a lot of effort into it. And, and I guess that that kind of underlies the challenge, I guess, of your business model. Because, And I can say this because I, I, I'm a computer geek at heart. Uh, finding someone that has those technical skills and that desire and that intentionality to be customer focused is probably pretty difficult. And I don't mean that to to beat up tech guys, but I mean, that's just a reality, right? Yeah. The, the folks that are attracted to a technical field tend to be introverted. They tend to be less uh, on the socially outgoing side. Uh, so, so finding those folks that they can have at least the positive attitude and and not come across as condescending when they're either on the phone or in person it is a struggle uh and that you know when we post a job we will typically go through 30 to 40 people in the interview process that that look good on paper and then they sound decent on the phone then we bring them into the office and and the interview itself is all about customer service We, we do eventually ask them technical skills type questions but the whole first part of the our interview process is is built around how are they going to react when someone's irritated when someone's frustrated on the phone um, and, and you know frankly when they're trying to solve something they know the answer uh, but interacting with that person on the other end of the line or it's in, sometimes even harder when you're standing there in person um, it, it's critical how they react so trying to get that out in an interview is uh, is tough to do, but you you can tell from talking to people and asking them, you know, how do you deal with those kind of situations? You know, their their response it, it tells you a lot about how they're wired. Talk, talk to me some of, about some of those things you're looking for. I find that fascinating in interviews, and I've done a lot of interviews myself. And and you're always trying to find what, what you're telling me is you, you got to find those character traits that are mm-hmm. that are difficult to, f- to to find on a a piece of paper, which is essentially just highlighting talent and experience and, and you know degrees and certifications and employment experience. How do you yeah. find those character traits in those interviews? 
the the two questions I will ask, and, and I'm a huge fan of uh, Patrick Lencioni. So, oh yeah, you know his his book, The Ideal Team Player, uh, really hit home with me. And you know the the, the traits of hung, hungry, humble, and smart, where we're actually the humble side of it is really the number one aspect that we're looking for, uh, especially in the interview process. And for me, when I'm asking somebody that's technical and has been in the technical world, I ask two different questions. It's really the same question, but flipped around. The first question I ask them is from from your, your career, what's the thing you are the most proud of accomplishing? Tell me why and, and explain the situation. And what I'm looking for in the answer is that they didn't do it themselves because no one yeah, does. Right. I mean, every once in a while, somebody comes up with a unique idea, but that's pretty rare. It's what I'm listening for in that response is the use of we and us and the team in terms of making the great accomplishment. And if I hear that, I know they're going to be a team player. Um, and then I ask the flip side, what's, what's the, the biggest oops, the worst failure, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to ask it. Uh, and really what I'm looking for in the answer there is personal ownership. You know, can they admit yeah, that they don't know everything? And yeah. there's a lot of technical people that think they know everything. <laughs> so <laughs> the answer to the, those two questions, uh, and, and sometimes I have to ask them three or four times, uh, but what I'm really looking for is will they share the glory um, when, they, when, when something great has happened, and will they take responsibility um, when, when, when they mess up and, you know, we're we're a company that's you know we're, we're driven by people. We're we're not perfect. I absolutely don't expect people to be perfect. But what I figured out is that the tech field in particular tend to be perfectionists. Yeah. So can I find that person that might be wired to be a perfectionist, but realizes that it's okay to fail and will admit it and own it and learn from it? That, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, and no wonder you go through thirty to forty people for every one that you hire. I mean, cause that, that is the yeah. challenge, right? Because everybody's comes to the interview wired and trying to put on their best face. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, in any given such, in any interview I found, you know, to try to find someone that's willing to be authentic and vulnerable is very challenging. That's why you gotta be, I, I, I imagine yeah. the slow to hire, quick to fire philosophy is probably ingrained in, in what you do. You, you have to be slow in hiring. Yeah, and it, and it's hard because we've we've been on a great growth spurt. Uh, when when you're when you just need people to either be yeah, on the phone or be out in front of customers, there's that huge pressure to just just put somebody in that seat. And again, I'm a slow learner, but I have learned over time that to rush that process in the long run, it just costs you more time and effort. <laughs> yeah. money. It, you just got to take your time and find the right person to fit on the team. Yeah, I had a mentor. Show me. I thought it was a great tactic to to extract the character traits in someone. If, if, if you know they made it through maybe the first round of interviews, and then like this looks like someone that's got a tremendous amount of potential, and then he would always take them to uh, the country club here in town and buy him lunch, and he would ahead of time coordinate with the wait staff to screw up uh, the potential interview, you know, the potential interview client or the interviewees order and would always try to see the reaction to the wait staff. And he thought that was a good indicator. In other words, you know, he intentionally would have the wait staff screw up their orders multiple times and see how they would react to the wait staff. And he thought that was a great revelation of character. Yeah. 
that, that's that's a great idea. Yeah, I thought it was just I thought it was brilliant. And then he would take them golfing and see how they would if they were completely honest with their scores too. That was that was his big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a feeling that weeded out a few. <laughs> right. Yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> Well, how did what was the dream for you then? I, I love these ideas. I love these kind of revelations yeah. as you're going through the business. When you again, you bought this business and you had a certain idea. What was the dream? What was the kind of the idea? You never end up where you kind of plan, which is not a bad thing. I'm yeah. saying, but you know, yeah. it, it, when you look back, you're like, wow, I, I can't believe I'm here. But what was the dream starting out? The the dream with with Purple Guys was to become the paychecks of the IT services world. Mm, yeah. it was to build a brand that you know, as the, the small business climate. If you're if you're thinking about outsourcing your payroll services, the landscape's changed a little bit, but there's probably less than a half a dozen brands that come to mind uh, from from a nationwide perspective. Uh, and the same thing, and actually, probably even. Even more dramatic when, when you're a small business and you're thinking of outsourcing your IT support. There, there's not really a national brand. There's a couple of people who try to brand right. the, the whole geek thing, um, but it's mostly a retail focus. It's not a professional business right. focus. Right. So my my original dream was to go nationwide and and become that brand and you know that that support structure for the small business owners. Um, and, and grow it to that scale. Now it's it's turned out to be a much slower growth than that. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that that was the original dream was to, to was to create a customer service centered organization that would grow coast to coast. The brand would be recognizable, and when someone was thinking of oh you know I've, I've reached a maturity level where you know my sister's cousin's nephew who took a computer class is no longer enough to you know be my IT support. I want to do this you know, outsource it to a professional that we would be at least one of the, the three or four that would come to mind and would have a shot at the business. Is the business model similar in paychecks? And I mean, at some point paychecks has uh, a size of business where it doesn't make sense where you, you know, you get some a size of like Boeing or, or mm-hmm. a, a Cargill or something like that. I mean, there's gotta be a sweet spot on the size of the business, right? I mean, because at certain points it would almost be too, too, too cumbersome to take care of. Right. Correct. Yeah, it, it, there, there's a there's a too big and there's also a too small, um, just because of the the effort that we have to put in to a, a two man or really even a one man solopreneur type of a situation is almost as much as we're going to put into a fifteen to twenty person firm. Uh, and the, the flip side of that is once you get above probably five hundred employees, the complexity that's there to outsource. You can outsource a component of that right. still at that point. There's, right. there's companies that focus on that. Um, but our world, we want to be we want to be the service desk for the employees and we want to be the the planner for the projects. So as they're moving bits and pieces to the cloud or they're migrating an application or they're planning to move their office, um, we can do all of that, but we kind of cap out typically at about a 200-person firm. Yeah. Uh, and anything below ten, we've got a few that are that are smaller than ten employees, uh, but that's kind of our floor. Uh, yeah. Well, no, yeah, I can see that, and it makes sense. And, and the flat fee model is that something that's been part of Purple Guys from the beginning, or is that something you migrated towards? 
the the way we price, I have always wanted to keep it as simple as possible. Right. Uh, I didn't want to have to argue about well, why did it take that long? What? Exactly. How did you come up with those you know, the, the numbers? So I, I wanted to make it understandable to a business owner. I didn't want to tie it to the tech stuff. Uh, when we first started out, we were prepaid on an hourly basis, and it was just it was half day chunks uh, was really what people were paying for, and that was back when we started. We had to go on site, so we would book half days, and it was in multiples of a half day, and it was all really based on hours. Um, as we matured as a business, we we kind of figured out well we can predict that you know this size of a firm in this kind of an industry is probably going to take you know four half days. So we got to the point where we could actually provide a quote. We we still were on the backside figuring out the number of hours. Um, and as we shifted, and it, it was in 06, 07, uh, we made the shift to actually start doing things remotely over the phone, remote tools. Uh, that's that's when it kind of flipped for us to create our, our our service desk where we have people sitting in seats and you know that's now grown to a twenty person team that just sits here waiting to answer the phone and and once we had that centralized we could really come up with a this is the cost and it's it really morphed into a per user per month cost and from a from a business owner perspective you know how many employees you have. And you can multiply that times our fee per employee, and you know what your your costs are on an IT basis, and everything's included now. So when it comes yeah. time to do projects, or you know, my example is usually even if you move your office, that's going to be included. We really want to be that department, uh, and again, it keeps it simple. It's it's not tied to the some some sort of a technical calculation or the number of of devices yeah, it's, anymore yeah. it's it's the people it's the people using the stuff and again that's our core thing is we're supporting the person sitting behind the keyboard um, and, and when we're we're out doing business development we're looking for companies that have that same philosophy if they're just looking for a, a technical fix for one specific thing that's probably not us we, right. we really want to be that department of the company and and have a very predictable cost model. So as they scale and they predict, you know, their their headcount growth, they know what the spend is going to grow with them. And same thing if they have to shrink. Yeah. So it, it's keeping it simple. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Yeah, I love that idea. It's, it's, it is funny how, and I even see this on, 
even on my side on the consulting space where people still want to know what it's going to cost them per hour. And I'm like, you don't want to charge me by the hour, right? Give me that yeah. flat fee. I mean, it's in their best interest, to, you know, to give them the flat. But we're, we're kind of wired, I guess, I guess because lawyers do it, I guess. But I, I, don't, know, <laughs> you know, I don't know yeah. why people think it's so important to understand what it's going to cost them per hour because it is about yeah. the end of the day, the value that you give them at the end. And, and that's what Correct. it sounds like. That, that's actually my example in, you know, when, when I'm sitting across from, from someone who's evaluating. It's like, we, we don't want to be the the attorney model of every time you're talking to right. and you're a stressed about guy, it. the meter's running. Yeah, right. that, it creates anxiety. It's, we want the risk of, if you have to call us, and people still have to call us because stuff breaks and, you know, they, they will have issues. Uh, but but we don't want you to have to call us. We, we're incented by the way our business model is structured and the way we price things that you don't have to call. When everything is running very smoothly and things are running the way they're supposed to, you can get logged in, everything's performing well, it's fast, you're connected, you don't have to call us. Right. That's how we want it to be. And that's really what you want to pay for is you want to pay to have everything work really well. Uh, you don't want to pay by the hour when you have problems because the only <laughs> no. time the, you know somebody like me would get paid is when there's a problem. We want to be incented to eliminate problems, not get paid when they exist. Yeah, uh, I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, I'm curious about you and your kind of your personal habits. What? How do you view yourself as a leader? Well, f- first let me back up. Have you always seen yourself as a leader? And then, or did it kind of morph like, wow, okay, I need to start learning leadership. That's typically what happens is people feel like, I got to figure this leadership stuff out fast. Where do you fall? Yeah, I I am a, I would probably say, describe myself as a reluctant leader. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I get it. I've kind of, most of the places I've been, I've kind of bubbled into some kind of a leadership role. I mean, back even back in high school, I was, I was the, the captain of the cross country team. I was the captain of the swim team. Um, and you know, I don't know if that's just the way I'm, I'm wired or the way people perceive me, but I'm a, I'm a doer. I will figure out what needs to be done and just start doing. And then other people have tended to follow. Um, and again, I think I said it earlier, I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a a reluctant serial entrepreneur. I've I've done really three startups, and each time I kind of you know put the business plan together, got the wheels in motion, and then got some people around me who could actually help execute. Because you know I'm I'm really not that great at sales. I'm actually really not that great at the technology stuff. I I know what we do, but heck, I can't do most of it anymore. Um, and my my job is to try to figure out where the roadblocks are for the rest of the team, and can I get them out of the way. And also try to stay ahead of where are we going and, and have that strategic vision out there. Um, and I have learned over the years, and, and my wife will definitely second this, that communication has definitely not been my strong suit. I, I, I would think I'm communicating clearly and being very specific, and people would leave the room and there'd be seven different opinions of what I just said. Um, so I have learned over time to to put stuff in writing, try to distill it down to simple bullet points, and then reinforce it over and over and over and over again. And, and I had to learn that the hard way. Uh, what I love about your answer is that there's a sense of, um, I, I can sense that there's been a tremendous amount of self-awareness 
that you've had to be intentional about over the years, or at least, and, and imagine as we get the age that you and I are, I mean, that just happens yeah. over time, right? I mean, when you're yeah. in your 20s and 30s, yep. you, you think you know everything, and you're trying things that you, you don't know. You know, you don't know what you don't know, and you're willing to try it, yep. and you get knocked on your butt a few times, and then the ability to like continue to go forward, even though you've been knocked on your butt or had a few splat moments or in the mud moments. But yeah, I, I, I like, I like what I hear in there because there's a tremendous amount of awareness, self-awareness, which is critical and the humility side of it. And the third part of it is the, the doer part. I think that is the sweet spot that I think all leaders in, in what I talk about in the show a lot is that combination of that intensity of will, which I, I sense that from you as well, combined with, uh, a degree of humility and, and where that Venn diagram intersects, I think that's the sweet spot we should always be striving for. What do you think when you hear me say that? Yeah. Oh, I, I would totally agree that it's kind of back to the attitude side of things that it's, uh, you get to decide how you react to the external situation that you know, the, the outside world is going to happen. You know, politics are going to happen. The economy is going to change you get to pick how you're going to react to that. And something as simple as, you know, personal fitness. I've actually just always liked to run. It's one of those things that just, it feeds me uh, rather than than, uh, anything else. But there's definitely mornings that I don't feel like getting up. (laughs) tired. Right. But my alarm goes off. I force myself to get out of bed, you know. 35 minutes later, I'm done with my workout and it just starts the day right. Uh, right. So I, I've got to, I've got to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think you said something really salient there. I think when we, and the importance of choosing your attitude and real, to me, I think when, when, it, when we talk about leadership and we, and we think I'm going to be our leader, we're always thinking about the big ideas. And the reality is, a lot of effective leadership over time is that innocuous day by day kind of grind that doesn't really mount to much on an individual basis, but compounded over time, it, it, it creates something unique. And so instead of folks, my point is instead of focusing on the big idea where I think, which I get leadership is about the big idea sometimes, but really it's about on a day to day basis is about knowing what you can affect on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of times, like you said, I can't do anything about what's happening in politics or, you know, and all these big things that we're bombarded with in the media and everything else, but I can choose how I look at things, how I, how I choose to react to this kind of adversity or challenging situation. And I can certainly choose how I'm going to, what lives I can affect with those around me. And that includes your spouse, your kids, obvious, but the people that you work with too, right? I think a lot of times we, we're so focused on the big ideas and the big problems that we miss the opportunities to, you know, pass a little sticky note to this person who's doing a good job or, you know, tell them thanks yeah. or tell them, tell your, your spouse you love them or you appreciate them, whatever, right? I mean, that's what oh, I'm hearing I, I you say. I totally agree. It is the little things every day that add up. And, you know, one of the things we do at our, we have, we have an all, all staff Wednesday morning meeting and we start it with shout outs. You know, what are the, you know, what, what's the fun, good news for each other? You know, who helped who, who, who went above and beyond in the last week. Um, and it's just, it sets the right tone. Right. Um, because you're 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 focusing on the positive, um, 
And the same thing with, you know, we're, we're relentless about how we, we survey our customers and focus on customer service. And that that's part of our meeting as well, is we'll review the, the comments that come in, um, you know, through the great preponderance of them are positive and they, they call people out by name um, and they'll send them in uh, basically via our system. But getting that positive feedback in writing is huge um, just because generally the people calling in aren't happy. You know, they're, right. they got something that's frustrating the, the heck out of them and they want us to fix it and fix it before it happened. You know, they want it fixed yesterday. Um, and it's not always like that. We've got some phenomenal customers, but there's a lot of a lot of oh, this is urgent. It's got to be done now, and something's broken. And you know, some, some, sometimes it's implied that it's our fault. Uh, but how you react to that and and fix the situation and turn it around. Uh, the the thing I focus on, and I say it every Wednesday morning, that when we do our job well, there's thousands and thousands of people that we support that they're going to have a better day. They're going to be in a better mood. They're going to have a positive impact on their company. They're going to go home in a better mood. They're going to have a positive impact on their family. That the, us doing our job well for each of the individuals we interact with every single day has a positive impact on the entire community. That, that's It's got nothing to do with the technology. It's all about how you choose to interact with the people that that are calling in every day. Um, yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. I love that so much, and I, and I think it's a point worth worth you know uh, spending some time on because a lot of organizations that I've worked with, I've coached. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the product is or what the service you're providing, if you can somehow tie it back mm-hmm. to what you're doing is bigger than whatever, bigger than yourself, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you're doing by having this kind of weekly intentional, you know shout outs and and reading these surveys and then reminding them hey this is what you're doing right this is a stressful situation and it's going to compound and feed and chain down to a better day whatever right and so i love that yeah. you're being intentional about reminding them of why we do what we do and it's so it's yeah. so simple in concept but it just i don't know why more organizations don't spend that time to focus on and remind people this is what we're doing and why this is important because I don't know what your retention rates are like or what your, your average employee feels like, but when they hear that, it has to help, you know what I mean? Instead of, cause otherwise it's just a, Oh, I'm sitting there and I'm sitting at a desk answering a phone and answering technical questions. Yawn. Right. And, yeah. but when you tie yeah. well, it, the thing we're, we're struggling against is we don't want to be a call center. Exactly. Uh, you know, we, we, call it a service desk for a reason because um, it's not about the oh how many calls did you crank through this day I mean we do have to get through the calls and we do have to help however many people call in but it's it's the focus on the customer service yeah. and not just uh, oh all, all it matters is I, you know, I plowed through 20 conversations today now it's, <laughs> right. it's it's the interaction with that human being on the other end of the line making sure they know that A we care and we really want to get something fixed and we follow up and, you know, again, we're not perfect. We will screw up. That's going to happen. But that we we try to over-communicate whenever possible and just focus on making sure we close the loop 
Um, so it's not just, oh, I emailed them the answer. It's I got them on the phone. I followed up with them. If they happen to be out of town, you know, we find out when we can actually call them if they're going to be in a hotel room. Wh- whatever it is, it's it's the customer service aspect for that individual. Um, and, and just going that extra step to make sure we close the loop on the communication side so they understand, here's what I did, here's here's how it works. And a lot of times it's the education side of it of, you know, this is a you can fix this yourself the next time. We're happy to help, but you know, it's a you know push this to to reset and, and provide that education so that the whole process gets more efficient throughout uh, over time, and, and, and they can help themselves be more efficient right off the bat. Um, so just all of that matters. So that that attitude of being a teacher, the, the kind of the, the servant attitude of you know we're here to help. Yeah. Um, we're, yes, we're we're looked to as the experts, but we've got to communicate in a way that that puts a, a positive spin on this is how this works. You're not talking down to somebody. You're just explaining it. You're teaching. I love it. I mean, it's a whole teacher scholar mentality, right? Instead of a, yeah. Yeah. a, a, a client relationship, yeah. it's a teacher scholarly, and that just builds on the relationship. Everything it it pays. It's the long game. It pays in the long run, right? And so. That's that's only going to help, yeah. in, in the, and that's going to get your referrals. That's going to get you know, it's all just builds and compounds. I love it. I love the philosophy what you're doing. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I know it's not revolutionary in the sense, but man, I, it, it seems to be lacking in so many organizations. And and I think well, that, there's not a shortcut to it. That's the thing. Well, there's that's no, right. There's no hack for customer service. <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, it's it's just hard work. Yeah. And again, we have people call in and. and in general, our customers are awesome, but there are people that sometimes call in and they're they're unreasonable. Yes, starting out. <laughs> uh, so it's how do you react to that? How do you calm the situation down? Do you get to the root cause of the issue? You know, in 15 minutes later, somebody called in that were they're, they're basically they were irate, and they're they're sending in a survey that says you're awesome. I mean that that's a huge win, uh, and it happens every day here. Great. I love it. Absolutely love it. How can people learn more about uh, the Purple Guys and, and, and getting in touch with you? Uh, go to our website, purpleguys.com, just the color purple, and then G-U-Y-S dot com. That's, that's got all of our contact info. We've, we've actually got an Instagram page where we post some fun purple pictures, but kind of all of the info about uh, kind of who we are, who, who to talk to here, just, just go to purpleguys.com and, and all the info is there. I love it. I could talk to you for another 30 minutes, but you've got a parade to go to to celebrate the Chiefs That's victory right. down there in Kansas City, and I don't want you to keep you from that. Yes. It starts in about an hour, so I want you to yeah. celebrate for that city, a great win for all of us Chiefs fans. So, it's been, uh, been 50 years. 50 years, yeah. What a, It was a fun game. Did you watch it on TV, or did you actually go to the game, or what did you? I, I watched it on uh, on television. Yeah. And, uh, there, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of yelling. Yeah. Movie. It was awesome. <laughs> I kind of thought... Third quarter, I was kind of getting dejected, but then I, yeah. but there was, some, I still had to, I said, man, I don't know. There's still something, you know what I mean? I, I didn't feel yeah, completely. No, if you watched, watched in the other playoff games, I know, that was, right? That was normal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, John, it thanks. It still for, makes it nerve wracking. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. it was, but man, I was, what a great win. So, so fun. Yeah, well, enjoy, great. enjoy your parade and, and thanks for coming on the show, John. It's been a fun conversation. I look, I look forward to staying in touch with you and I'm proud to have you in the Dosa Leadership Circle. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. I really appreciate it. 
Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.